If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. But first, we start with mandatory vaccination for frontline healthcare workers in British Columbia. The BC Nurses Union coming out opposed to this. Uh, they say the healthcare system in the province will crash, crash if the government follows through on their threats to fire unvaccinated nurses. Lots of other healthcare workers impacted by this policy too, including BC paramedics. And that's where we start today. Troy Clifford, provincial president of the Ambulance Paramedics of BC, is my guest. Troy, thank you for coming on again. Thank you, Mike, for having me on. Okay, let's talk about this mandatory vaccination policy. It impacts paramedics right so your people must get vaccinated as a condition of employment correct yeah so we were confirmed on monday with the ministry of health uh, when they advised all the uh health care and and uh ourself as the frontline uh, first responders to uh that we were they would be included in this order yes what, what do you think of that well you know all along we've talked on your show and uh, we've been very vocal of supporting vaccinations right from day one and even prior to vaccinations we you know as you know we see all too real the effects of covid on people and and our patients and uh and uh, you know paramedics have uh, stepped up and they were in the first group of vaccinations and uh we're, we're advised through, through BCHS and PHSA that we're in the mid-90s of uh, paramedics vaccinated. So we see uh, that as supportive of, of uh, not only the science, but the evidence and, uh, and consistent with what we've been advocating for as the professional voice and the union. Um, so, you know, we support vaccination because we, we know that uh, the science uh, supports it. And, you know, we're an right. evidence-based, uh, science-based profession. Our protocols and our clinical guidelines are all based on evidence and science and uh, we see no reason to deviate that and that's the direction we're receiving from the large majority of our membership okay so you're not going to fight back against this like the the bc nurses union yesterday saying they're opposed to this you guys are not opposed to it you're going along with it right yeah we're going to comply yeah. with the laws for sure and uh you know when when the direction of the government comes down and makes it but we are going to look after our members that have legitimate uh, properly processed medical reasons or religious reasons, and we're gonna. We, we've been working right from when we heard about this with our employer and the government on what the implications on our members are that uh, choose not to get vaccinated because there is a small group of our members that uh, feel strongly against it, and we're trying to work with uh, the employer to determine the labor relations ramifications, and and I think those are still being folded out or coming out uh, by the. Well. Um, well, okay, but, you know, there are a couple of very narrow categories here where people can get a, some sort of accommodation. One is if you have a rare medical condition that you can't take the vaccine. Another is like a, a religious belief or conviction. Uh, very, very narrow parameters. Are you saying that, that there, are some, there are some paramedics who just don't want to take the vaccine because it's their personal choice and you're supporting them on that or, or what? Yeah. Well, just to be clear, we're supporting them on their choice, but uh, what oh. that leads to as far as, um, you know, it, people have the right to choose, we do, do believe that, but there's also uh, uh, implications of that, and if the government's made it very clear that there'll be employment consequences to your choice. Well, you'll be so fired, right? 
Well, that's what they've indicated, but I, I think that, that, that that still needs to be vetted out, and that's where we're going to continue to put uh, pressure on and determine what the best option for them are um, if they ultimately choose not to get vaccinated by the deadline. Do you think, how many members, how many paramedics in BC do you think are like anti-vaccination? Well, we have 4,500, as you know, uh, paramedics and dispatchers across the province. Um, and and we know that about 95% are, between 90 and 95% are vaccinated. So, uh, you know, and we don't know those exact numbers because of the reporting and the privacy things of which number. I've received uh, probably about 30 fairly, uh, fairly uh, firm members have contacted me directly directly. Uh, Stating their opposition to that, so I imagine it's between uh, thirty and hundred for sure. Uh, I don't have hmm. those exact numbers. But what, to, kind, know, what kind of impact would there be, Troy? Let, let's say there's let's say there's 30, 30 paramedics who flat out refuse to take the vaccine, and they lose their jobs. What kind of impact would that have on the paramedic service? Well, it would any loss of paramedics, as you know, we're in a real tough time right now is, uh, you know, with staffing and workload and out of service. So losing one uh, does not help us uh, with our ability to maintain staffing and workload. But I would counter that with an argument or, or a position that, uh, you know, paramedics who get sick and can't come to work are way worse for our system and our staffing and resources than, than uh, a few that choose not to work because of uh, not following the direction uh, of vaccinations. So that's yeah. a real tough that puts me in a real tough position, but my job is to look after the majority of our members and follow their wishes, but listen to the science and advocate for our patients. Because, you know, I have seen the impacts of uh, COVID on patients. I've seen people die from it. Our paramedics and dispatchers have experienced the very real impacts of COVID. They've seen people hug their family members, not knowing when they're going to the hospital in an ambulance, whether they're going to see them again. So, that's what my job is to look after public safety, our patient safety, paramedic safety, and advocate for the health system so that we can get through this mess. Yeah, this okay. I think that's a really good point. Like, you have seen the carnage of this pandemic up close. Does it surprise you, therefore, that some paramedics would be uh, anti-vaccine? Um, yeah, I think it does. It, it, I have a hard time understanding some of it because, uh, for sure, and I think a lot of our colleagues do. Um, it's 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 hard to reconcile that anybody in a in a caring or healthcare profession would do that. But I think that you know some people just really feel strongly about the uh, uncertainty on themselves. And I've never really heard a lot of great arguments of why they are anti-vaxxers as opposed to emotional. One of the things that I've heard a lot about is the it's not so much the anti-vax, it's the being forced to have to do something from the government or the not having a choice. I think seems to be a a real theme within that. So. I haven't worked through the what the individual reasons are, but uh, it seems it, it's hard to reconcile when you see the very real reasons in, in us. And, you know, I know my comments are going to be controversial and it's going to stir up emotions in this is a very passionate uh, debate. And, you know, you see it by the protesters and, and uh, this, but we really also need to get through this. Uh, and uh, we're all tired of it. And I think yeah. anything any one of us can do to get through this and get past this is what we have a duty to do. Okay, we're following it closely. Troy, thank you very much for coming on today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Have a great day. Okay, thank you. Troy Clifford there, president of the Ambulance Paramedics of BC. Uh, paramedics now facing mandatory vaccination as a condition of the job. 
It, it was interesting yesterday to hear the BC Nurses Union of all the healthcare unions has been the toughest in the response to this announcement by government that they oppose mandatory vaccination for nurses and the union arguing that the healthcare system in this province could crash if the government follows through on threats to fire unvaccinated nurses. Have a listen to this. This is the vice president of the BC Nurses Union, Amon Graywall, in conversation yesterday with our own Jill Bennett on why nurses should be able to refuse the vaccine for any reason. Have a listen. It's a human right to make your own choice. Uh, We still stand by that uh, everyone should be vaccinated. And we strongly encourage everyone to get educated and uh, get the vaccine. But there will be some that don't. What we've been hearing is um, from these educated people that uh, they just don't have enough science for their personal choice. All right, welcome back to the show. And here we go now with crime on the streets of Vancouver, our continuing focus on the break-ins, the vandalism, the assaults, the general mayhem that we're seeing in the city. Lots of residents have been speaking out on this, saying it's gotten worse that the crime is spreading into otherwise peaceful neighborhoods in the past. We've talked to a lot of business owners on this issue. Earlier this week, I spoke to the owner of a wine store on Davy Street, had his place smashed and ransacked the other day, had the Vancouver Police Department on yesterday. They say they are run off their feet. Okay, let's keep talking about this issue now with some other business owners William Donnellan on the line. William is the owner of Donnellan's Irish Pub and Smith's Bar and Lounge in Gastown. William, thanks for coming on. Thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate it a lot. Also on the line is Azra Kamrudin. Azra is the owner of Abesa Optical. Hi, Azra. Hi. Thank you to both of you for being here. William, let me go to you first. Uh, you've been in this business a long time, right? Smith's Bar and Lounge in Gastown, I think, was that the former Irish Heather pub down in Gastown? That's correct, Mike, yeah. yes. It's at uh, 208 Carroll Street in Gastown. Okay, I love it. I've been in there. I think it's a great spot, and I think it's awesome you've taken it over. What have you seen in, in the years that you've been in this business and down in Gastown and other parts of the city? Have you noticed, are things getting worse out there? Like, what have you seen out there? Yes, Mike, uh, there's no doubt about it. Things are getting worse. Um, it's, it's very sad to see. Uh, the place is, is uh, it's quite a dangerous uh, state at the moment. And uh, as you said yourself, places that were peaceful in the past, uh, great yeah. areas like Gastown, uh, the Granville Entertainment District, um, they're no longer peaceful. They're, they've turned quite dangerous. And uh, unfortunately, um, it's, it's embarrassing, to be honest. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, the same repeat offenders constantly causing problems down there. We really need to do something about it. Yeah, like down in Gastown, for example, I mean, I love that little Irish pub there that you own now. Um, what's it been like? How has that neighborhood changed down there? Like, what, what sort of things are you seeing there? Uh, some of the stuff that, that, most of the stuff that I see, Mike, uh, I couldn't repeat it, not uh, on live on air like this. Um, we, I'll give you one example. We were renovating the place uh, about five, six months ago. And uh, my wife, who done the interior design there, uh, was coming down to visit us one day and got chased by a very angry, 
an aggressive uh, young man and um, uh, she was very very upset and very frightened by the whole thing and you know this happens all the time I see it on a daily basis uh, I see people urinating on the patios on the sidewalks uh, we've had uh, people spitting at our staff uh, it's terrible okay it all just seems to be getting worse Azra Kamrudin owner of Abesa Optical Azra tell me what's going on down at your store <laughs> Well, uh, we've been there for 31 years at, at Abasa Optical on Davie, and I've never seen it this bad. It's, um, we've had four break-ins uh, in the last two years, and, um, and we've had to install uh, security gates inside the store at a great cost to ourselves. And um, also, we haven't uh, claimed any one of those because when you claim, um, you know, the insurance, you, I'm, I'm, I'm worried that the next year when I renew, uh, what if my rates go up? So we end up just eating the cost every time we have a break-in. They, they come in for sunglasses, but they ransack the place. Uh, we've got really very tall uh, uh, windows. And, it, you know, there's shards of glass everywhere and, uh, and, and it causes damage. And, um, and so we just, we just clean it up. We, we get, you know, the insurance company to put the, the, uh, the glass back up and uh, we wait for another call. And it comes in at four in the morning and, you know, one of us has to go down there and, and it's just, it's a, it's really, it's, it's a mess and it's really hard to see that. Um, and when we ask the, the, the police, they, they're, they're aware of it. Um, and we don't even call the police anymore. Um, and so they happened to be by while this was going on and would come in, in the store and said that you should call it in. But, yeah. you know, um, what's the point? Because nothing's ever been done. Um, in all the time that I've been there, not one person has actually been caught um, in all the break-ins that we've had. So, but the, the last two years, the escalation has been really hard to take. Uh, we, we have a, a, you know, we have a, a car is parked in the back. Uh, it's in, it's an open parking in the, in the alley. And my sister and I, we own the store and, you know, after work, summertime is okay because it's light, but the, the alley, the, the area where the park, uh, the, the car is parked, it, it, it becomes a shooting gallery. Oh. And so, um, you mean like people are doing, people are doing drugs back there. Right there, yes, yeah, yeah. and they're and they're shooting up, and and you know they're and you know they're usually okay, but sometimes you know you can you can sense the aggression, or sometimes they'll they'll, um, they'll be hovering around the cars, and it's just really intimidating to get to your car um, while all of this is going on. Yeah, and you know, uh, and we've had a, a young lady who sleeps on the street, and and um, what was it a few months ago? She just came in to, uh, on the outside and started hitting their head uh, um, against our window so hard uh, and for so long that she actually bled. Oh, man. And, man, and, and, and it's heartbreaking because, yeah. you know, n nobody wants to actually be this way or break in or, you know, it's obviously drugs, it's mental right. illness. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's a combination, you know, and we can't just throw you know the, just the police at, at, at people so right. it's 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 something that the province the city has to do something about as well
Right. William, let me go back to you. And I'm sorry, Azri, you're going through that. I mean, that's, that is a terrible thing to have to go through every day. William, let me go back to you, uh, owner, William Donnell, an owner of Smith's Bar and Lounge in, in Gastown. What kind of impact does this have on your, uh, your customers? I mean, this has got to be tough for your customers, too. Yes, uh, it definitely is, Mike. Um, as Azri said there, uh, there's, mental health has a lot got to do with it. And, you know, yeah. when our customers are sitting on their patios, uh, they don't feel safe. There's people constantly coming up to them, uh, screaming at them um, and, and asking them for money and, and stuff like that. And it's not comfortable. And I've noticed uh, in recent months, our patios, actually, we had three patios at the front of our location in Smith uh, of Gastown. And uh, recently, we just removed two of them because it, it just wasn't, uh, they weren't worthwhile because people don't feel safe sitting on the patios in that area anymore. They've, what, they've what do you think? They're concerned and they're, inter- they're, they're worried. What do you think needs to be done? Like, would you like to see more police enforcement down there, like cops walking a beat? Or do you think you need like a a more comprehensive government a, a response to this, like the drug problems we're seeing on the street? Like, what do you think should be the priority? Honestly, I think uh, the VPD are very frustrated also. They, yeah. They're great. Anytime we call them, they come, they help. Um, I'm also a member of, of Bear Watch, and I work with Curtis Robinson there. And, and those, those support networks are brilliant. I think, I think the problem is that uh, we need to, to, to deal with the mental health issue. Uh, that's one yeah. aspect. And then we also need to deal with... Uh, these the the troublemakers i'll call them the the ones that are constantly uh re- the repeat offenders you know they come right. and they try and break into your business all the time uh they shove syringes in the locks of your doors they break your doors they break your glass uh try try to break into our our bars to steal the whiskey and stuff like that and uh the vpd um as i said are very frustrated they're constantly arresting these people and you know if you a few hours later, they're back out on the street again. Yeah. Azra Kamrudin, uh, owner of Abyssa mm-hmm. Optical on Davie Street. Azra, do you, find, do you think that's true? Like, a lot of these are repeat offenders? Like, do you think... what, what, yes, yeah. what the gentleman said is, is absolutely true. It's, I mean, the VPD do their very best, you know, um, and, and you know, with the, with the mandate that they have, they can't really... I mean, uh, they, one of the gentlemen was saying, uh, that the police officers, that... They may have uh, people on, on bikes and police officers on bike, you know, uh, patrolling um, the the west end or the downtown core, um, and you know they might they might be able to um, free up some money for that, uh, and maybe just patrol. But you know, I can tell that they're just as frustrated, and their hands are kind of I mean, they're doing their best, you know. Yeah. Um, and and I think that it's um, you know this is a this is not something new, but since the pandemic, I think that it's for some reason um, it has grown exponentially um, with with the pandemic. I'm not quite sure what the correlation is, but um, it, it's just this an escalation of of homelessness and vandalism, you know. And it's 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 something that you know you you feel really bad about because when I when I walk on Davy, you'll see people in the sleeping uh, you know um, uh, in gear, they're sleeping all over. And, yeah. and I've never seen that before. I've never seen so much um, of that. And, uh, and, and just people just, they're, they're tweaked out on drugs and, you know, just going up and down, screaming, you know, and, um, and obviously they're suffering. And so 
I, I'm not, you know, I'm sure that the province is doing whatever that they can, but I think more needs to be done. I think more money needs to be spent. You know, yeah. I think less talk and more money. Um, okay. You know, they need to get housing uh, for, for people who are suffering right okay. on the streets. All right. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the COVID-19 vaccine and how it applies now to children when their parents are divorced or separated. This is an emerging area of family law and these kind of disputes are becoming more common. Think about it. What if you've got a divorced couple and they disagree about the vaccine? Maybe one parent does not want to take the vaccine, doesn't want their kids to take it. What if the other parent feels the other way? How do you sort that out? Let's discuss with an expert now, Katia Richardson, family lawyer with Westside Family Law. Katia, thanks a lot for coming on today. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. When you have separated or divorced parents, they often have disagreements on parenting issues. But the approval of a, a vaccine for kids, wow, that raises a, a tough question. Are you seeing those type of disputes right now? Yeah, we definitely are. Um, we have clients contacting us with questions about it, and we've also seen it pop up in some cases recently. Yeah, what are the most more co- the most common questions that you're receiving about this issue? Um, well, exactly that. What to do when parents don't agree about whether to vaccinate the children? There's been concerns, especially earlier on during COVID about what happens when one parent doesn't think the other one is following proper safety protocols. For example, are they not wearing masks when they should be? Are they exposing to children that may be putting the children at risk of contracting COVID-19? And even recently, I've seen um, issues where should a baby have contact with a parent if the parent's not vaccinated? Wow. Wow, yeah, these are tough ones for sure when you've got uh, divorced parents for sure. And now, of course, we have the BC vaccine card in place, proof of vaccination required for people to go to a restaurant or a movie theater, for example. This is going to impact families. And the vaccine in British Columbia at the moment is available for kids 12 and older. And we expect that maybe younger kids at some point the vaccine will be approved for younger children too so you've got let's say you've got a 12 year old and one parent wants them to take the vaccine the other parent does not who who gets to decide that how does that work well it depends on the circumstances so there may already be a written agreement between them or a court order which gives one of the parents the ability to make decisions such as that And if that's the case, then the de facto would be for that parent who has decision-making power to go ahead and and do what they wish, whether that's vaccinate or not vaccinate. But the other parent does also have the ability to challenge that, despite the fact that there may be an agreement or a court order in place, if they think it would be in the best interest of the children to do so. Right. And I... yeah, I was, I was just I was just reading the blog post there at the Westside Family Law website on this point, and you, you just mentioned a term that I know is critical in family law, and that's what's in the best interest of the child, right? Which I think makes a lot of sense. That's what we should you know the, we should all be focused on. What's in the best interest of of the children of the kid involved? How does that 
how does that play when it comes to COVID-19 vaccinations? Yeah, it's a good question. So the best interest of the children is always the paramount consideration that a judge would make when deciding on any parenting issue that's brought before the courts. And so in terms of how courts would determine this issue with respect to the COVID-19 vaccine, I haven't actually come across any cases yet in BC that deal specifically with the COVID-19 vaccine. But we can look to a couple other sources to uh, get an indication of how it would likely be decided if this issue goes before a judge in BC. So we can look at how cases have been decided in the past in BC when it comes to other vaccine issues. And we can also look to other jurisdictions, other provinces, where this particular issue as it relates to COVID-19 has come before them. And there are decisions on that. Right. And I'm taking a look at your website on some of the case law on it. And there's an interesting BC family law case. You had divorced parents who could not reach an agreement over a, over a child's immunizations ends up in front of a judge. How did that one play out? Yeah, I think you're referring to the DRB and DAT decision from 2019. So in that case, the father was seeking an order for the children to be vaccinated. And of course, this was before COVID-19. The mother had some particular views about vaccinations. For example, she didn't want her children to be vaccinated against any diseases that had been eradicated from Canada. I guess she didn't see the point of of having the children vaccinated for such diseases. And it was a concern there at the time because there were recent outbreaks of measles in Canada and the U.S. So Mm. in that case, uh, the court ended up awarding uh, the father health care decision-making power um, when it comes to uh, health care related decisions for the children and specifically directed that the children should be brought up to date on their vaccines. Right. So in that case, the judge ruled in favor of the parent seeking to have the children immunized. So that's an interesting case, piece of case law in British Columbia. What if you have a situation where one parent has sole custody of the children maybe the other parent has some visitation rights. Does the parent with the sole custody get to make the decision on vac- on vaccinations or does the other parent have any input at all there? Uh, so typically, if a parent has sole custody and sole decision-making power, uh, we'd say sole guardianship, yeah. then they would have the ability to make Uh, all healthcare-related decisions for the child. Um, However, if the other parent is concerned that the parent with guardianship is not making decisions that are in the best interest of the children, then they can always challenge that. And that's exactly what was done in the DRB and DAT case. Um, The mother maintained custody, but the father was given specifically the ability to make healthcare-related decisions. So the judge carved wow. out that piece of authority for wow. him. Isn't that interesting? That's a fascinating case for sure. Do you think um, when parents come to you with these type of difficult situations, as, as a lawyer, is your advice typically like, let's try to work this out in some sort of mediation? I mean, is that always better than 
duking it out in court, like if you can sort of mediate a dispute rather than going all the way to court, is that always better? And do you think that's possible in these type of cases? Yes, uh, that's a good question. We do always uh, recommend mediation as a first resort where we think there's potential room for compromise between the individuals. So, for example, in the DRB case, um, we'd we'd, uh, kind of broach that with our client as to whether there's maybe any room for compromise on getting particular vaccinations while others are off the table um, but the more discreet the issue and the more it's a black and white yes or no, the, the more likely it is that the parties aren't going to be able to reach a resolution. Um, we also have to consider the issue of urgency. For example, if, um, if children were required at some point to be vaccinated in order to attend school, All right, let's get the latest on a story we have followed closely here for you on the show, and that's the coyote attacks in Stanley Park. We are just uh, over a week now into the coyote cull at Stanley Park. We're told by authorities that four coyotes have been trapped and euthanized so far following uh, dozens of attacks over the last few months. The Ministry of Forests in B.C., had originally set up to 35 coyotes could be trapped and killed in the park in order to protect the public. And it now seems that maybe the ministry feels there are fewer coyotes in the park than anticipated and not that many will be called. We continue to follow it for you. There is a vigil happening right now for the coyotes targeted for uh, euthanization and it's going on right now outside the park board headquarters animal rights lawyer rebecca bredder is at the vigil and she's a friend of ours here on the show and a frequent guest and i'm pleased to welcome her back rebecca thank you for coming on hi mike thanks for having me it's Can a you little t- bit windy so I, I i try to pick a corner where it's, <laughs> it's a bit yeah. less windy so hopefully you could hear me okay we got you loud and clear here can you describe what's happening down there right now Yeah, there are, I just got here maybe about a half an hour ago or so, and there was already a group of people. I'd say there's anywhere, I don't know, I didn't really count, but 20 to 30 people, I would say, who showed up so far. It's going on between 10 and 2 today in front of the Vancouver Park Board, and it is a a vigil. And as I see it, it, it's a vigil for the coyotes who who are being killed right now, but it's also a reflection about, how we shouldn't be here. The, the situation has gotten so out of control and the government has really not done anything about it. Um, and even what they're doing now, killing the coyotes, it's not a long-term solution. I mean, even the fact that you know the ministry said that they believe that there are 35 coyotes in the park, now they're saying, oh, actually, there may be fewer and they were only able to catch four. That, it, that sends a very clear message about how they really don't know what they're doing. They don't even know how many coyotes are in the park. They don't even know if they caught the quote-unquote right coyotes or the quote-unquote aggressive coyotes or not. And what really needs to happen, they really have to sit down and work with the experts on the ground who know the situation, who know coyote behavior, who could explain what's going on. Because obviously what has been going on in Stanley Park is is very unusual. This is not typical coyote behavior. And well, I really feel bad for the people who have been injured and who've yeah. gone through this, this negative experience with them. But, and they shouldn't have gone through that. But 
It just coyotes like, want to avoid, not that they even like avoiding people. They want to avoid people. So it just, it's really, it's a sad and disappointing situation all around. Okay. Well, I, I feel sad for the people who've been attacked too, because I've spoken to some of them, in, including a woman who was a guest on my show a few weeks back who suffered life-changing injuries as a, as a result of a coyote attack. We've had mm-hmm. two, at least two children attack and taken to hospital. I think it's potentially mm-hmm. a deadly situation with a young, with a young child. And let me let me ask you this, Rebecca. You know, there's been four coyotes have been have been put down so far. How are they doing this? Like, are they using are they using leg hold traps to catch the coyotes? Is that what's going on? My understanding is that they're first using leg hold traps, and then they're using a captive bolt gun to shoot them in the head and kill them. What do you What do you think of that? Completely inhumane. There's nothing. They are humane washing this whole situation by calling it euthanasia. And that they're, that the coyotes aren't suffering. There's absolutely no way to humanely capture an animal when their paw, and that's if their paw gets stuck. There's documentation about how animals get their neck stuck in it. And other unintended animals get stuck in this too. And that's the other, I mean, that's a whole other layer of complexity because there, and we will likely never know if raccoons or birds or any other animal have gotten trapped in, in these traps what because would, they don't have to disclose that information. What would be a better way to do it? Like, I take your point, you're against euthanizing the coyotes at all, but, you know, is there, like, I was just wondering if there's a, a better option than a leg hold trap. I mean, couldn't they have a more humane trap? Uh, I, I'm not the person to ask that. I mean, I would defer to to experts on that. But what what I'm hearing is that the way that they're doing it now is not only inhumane in the sense that it causes unnecessary pain and suffering, but it's also completely random. These They do not know if the coyote that is trapped and that they're about to shoot in the head is a coyote that actually encountered a person. They just don't know that. And if they do find out, it'll be after the fact if they happen to do any DNA well, evidence to compare the teeth or however they do it with a person who's been injured. Well, I've noticed that there doesn't seem to have been any attacks in the last couple of weeks. At least there's none that have been reported by the Conservation Officer Service that I'm aware of or been reported in the media. It's, it seems like in the last two weeks we have not had uh, more attacks. Maybe there have been some that have been unreported, but, you know, they've they've trapped and killed four coyotes is that not evidence that maybe this is you know it's working i mean there's been no more attacks you know it may or may not be and that's the problem is that this is not a long-term solution we cannot kill wildlife indiscriminately like this and kill all wildlife in our park they have to what i really hope happens now going forward you know we are where we are it is what it is at this point And what I really hope that going forward is that the government at all levels, the park board, the city, the province, are going to seriously learn from the last year. They're going to sit down with experts in the know, come up with a long-term solution, even common sense things like much better signage around the park, signage that tells people it's illegal to kill wildlife. And if they do, that there'll be a big fat fine and whatever number. Like, you know how you you have parking signs that says, that, that say you can't park, and if you park, there is you know, whatever the fine is. They should do the same here. 
Well, I agree. I, I will agree with you that fines are required for people who are feeding wildlife. I think they could do a better job with signs and they could have more wildlife proof garbage cans. Like I'm on board with all that stuff, but I also, I'll also and enforcement and yeah, enforcement. Yes. they have to, you know, the, the signs and the law, unfortunately, and this is, you know, I realize I'm a lawyer saying this, but the law isn't going to do much for us if there's no enforcement. Okay, well, I'll, enforce the law. I'll agree with you on that, but I'll, I'll respectfully disagree with you on what the government is doing here and authorities are doing, because I thought we reached a point where this had become a public safety hazard and an issue. When you've got like 50 attacks, you've had people severely injured, you've had small children sent to hospital. I don't, I don't think that's a tolerable situation. And I think that the forest ministry going in and, and taking this action was the correct thing to do. Uh, as disturbing as it is to some people, and I do think it was a decision they had to take and that there was no other option. I mean, when I look at a guy like Brian Adams, the, the rock star who yeah. has weighed in on the, on the side of the coyotes here saying and comparing this to um, killing wolves in Yellowstone National Park in the United States, I just thought, like, what are you talking about? This, we're talking about an urban park here. This is Stanley Park. This is not a huge, this is not like a wildlife preserve. This is well, like an urban park. This is where I d disagree with you. It's an, yes, it's an urban park, but that urban park is for both people and wildlife who call that home. But you see, the reason why I'm against this call, it's, yeah, of course, a, a good part of it has to do with the actual kill, unnecessary killing of wildlife, in my view. But it, a, a very big part of that also has to do, I'm a mother, and I'm concerned about public safety. And what I want to see is actual good, long-term, viable solutions. Not a quick knee-jerk band-aid solution that makes us feel like something is being done, whereas that's not the way to deal with it to ensure well, public safety in the I, long run. That's I don't. I don't think. About. I don't think this is just a question of feeling like we're doing something. They actually are doing something, and to me, like a simple equation: if you want to stop coyote attacks, remove the coyotes. No coyote. No coyotes. No. No coyotes, no coyote, no coyotes, no coyote attacks. Well, we haven't had any attacks in two weeks since they started the call. Well, is that maybe that also has to do with that? I'm right here now looking at those red, red fences that they put up all around the park and that they close the park between 9 p.m. and 9 a.m. And maybe that has to do with it as well. And why didn't they close? And I realize I'm people are going to yell at me, but I also realize that there are many others who agree with me. They should have closed the park down for not forever, never, not saying forever, but for as long as it would take. And even if that meant, you know, several months to even oh. God forbid, you know, a year so that oh. they could use non-lethal means. Yeah, I realize it's not popular, but you know what? We need a fundamental shift in the way we approach uh, our, our relationship with wildlife and our relationship to green spaces in an urban environment. Because okay. we have to accept we share the space with wildlife. Rebecca, thank you for taking the time today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Thank 